God is not capricious or arbitrary. Do you realize that for 23 years, God called Jeremiah and he said, tell these people to get their act together. Because if you don't, there are serious consequences. Did y'all know y'all ought to take warnings from God seriously? Yeah, but we got that grace thing working, you know. If, if we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, so we just sin on. But God doesn't want us playing games with our salvation. Remember, he knows our heart. Founder of the Amity Bible Church and today's guest speaker, Dr. Les Smith, continues the sermon series, The King Who Saves. Today's word is God is in control. Follow along in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. Also Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And listen as Dr. Smith explains. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother and the court officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the smiths, had departed from Jerusalem. Uh, this, is, this was Daniel's exile. So that it gives you some reference. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, stop. Zedekiah was the, um, was the king that Nebuchadnezzar installed in Jerusalem after he had exiled the legitimate king, Jeconiah. So Zedekiah was not a legitimate king, he was a puppet king. Okay, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into Babylon from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And then verse 10 for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Breathe. And then there's one other verse that I would like to read, and it's Romans 8, 28. And it says... And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those 
who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Sort of stuff that in your mind because we're going to get to that last. Okay. Would you, would you, uh, we're going to talk about God is in control. God is in control. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you keep me accurate and you'd keep me focused and not let me tell a lot of jokes so that my (laughs) wife will be mad at me. In Jesus' name, amen. Most, Most of you know I tell a lot of jokes, but today we're not going to tell jokes. We're going to try to get to this text. Um, First, before we start, there are two important terms that we have to define in your hearing. The first of those terms is sovereignty. They sang about it, we talk about it, but it's important that you know sovereignty. So sovereignty is God's right and power to do whatever he wants to do. There is nothing that is beyond God's power. There's nothing that's beyond God's control. You know know what's going on in in Ukraine right now? There's a battle for power and there's a battle for control. You know what's going on in the Congress? There's a battle for power and for control. You know what's going on in this country? We're pitted against each other and the issue is power and control. And we have lost sight of the fact that God is in control and that it should not disturb you because we're getting a little resonation here uh, on, the, on the mic. I hope that's okay. 23 minutes. Um, <laughs> the second term is providence. Providence. Providence is the way that God superintends and guides his creation to accomplish his will. So what are we saying? Okay. Sovereignty is the umbrella. That is God's will. And providence is the way he actually interacts with us to accomplish that will. So there is no execution of God's will without his providence. And so God is providentially involved with us right now. In fact, he's He's acting through the Holy Spirit to help you understand what I'm saying. Otherwise, you couldn't understand Scripture apart from his intervention. So we want to make sure that we go there. Now, I have about four or five observations, and I have two or three lessons. You may want to write these down. You may not, okay? Because some of you are not going to like me when we're done. But then um, I've already spent... Days in prayer preparing for you not to like me. <laughs> okay, so, so let's dig into this. Observation number one. Jeremiah wrote a letter to God's people who were slaves in Babylon. Jer- God told Jeremiah to write a letter to the exiles in Babylon. They were incarcerated. They were slaves. And so Jeremiah wrote this letter. And so... Let's listen to the first part of the letter. I read it to you, but we're going to have a lot of Bible. So now these are the words of the letter 
which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't want to use the slides. <laughs> we just, uh, I'll just mess up on my own. Um, so, so where was I? Okay, verse 2. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and the Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed. All of these, he took the prime, but he left many in Babylon. He left, you might say, the riffraff, the people who didn't have much to contribute, and he left Zechariah as the king over them. Verse 3, the letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Okay, so they're in Babylon, and that's my first observation, that the letter was written to slaves in Babylon. So every time you think about this passage, I want you to think about the fact that it was written to slaves because there's some things that are going to come out. I'm not going to draw your conclusion for you. I'm going to let you draw the conclusion, but you have to draw it from the text. So he's writing to slaves. So who is he writing to? Slaves. slaves. Boom. Oh, I'm, not, I was, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to say that either. <laughs> You know, sometimes it's in your DNA. <laughs> Observation number two. God in his sovereignty divinely appointed Nebuchadnezzar to take his people captive. It was part of his plan and purpose. In other words, God sent for Nebuchadnezzar and said, I want you to go and put my people in jail. Wow. But God is not um, capricious or arbitrary. God doesn't take an action like that willy-nilly. Do you realize that for 23 years, God called Jeremiah and he said, tell these people to get their act together. Because if you don't, there are serious consequences. Did y'all know y'all ought, ought to take warnings from God seriously? <laughs> yeah, but we got that grace thing working. You know, if, if we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, so we just sin on. Be careful. God takes this stuff seriously. If you, if you study God, you will find out he takes stuff seriously. Now, now, let's look at this. So the supporting text is Jeremiah 25, verses 8 through 11. Let's, let's turn there. Hold your place at chapter 29. Let's go to verse 25, verse 8. We'll give you a minute to get there. Get your phone adjusted, your Bible adjusted. And I can have a sip of water while you do that. 18 minutes. Uh, Okay, are you, are you there? We got to rush. Okay, Jeremiah 25, verse 8, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, listen, because you have not obeyed my words, 
Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the lamp. God is saying, I'm going to utterly take you everything you have and I'm going to put you in jail. The whole land will be in desolation or horror and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Don't mess with God. Highly recommend it. So God is saying that I'm, I called Nebuchadnezzar. He works for me. Do you realize that everybody's working works for God? You play football for God. You preach for God. You, you marry for God. That's why y'all ought to stop cutting up in your marriages because you, you married for God. My wife said I could always work marriage into any one of my sermons. But God is an amazing God, and he'll call someone to whip your head, and then he'll turn right around and whip their head for touching you. Do you hear me? This is God. You have to know God. Let's stay with the same passage, chapter 25, verse 12. Got it? Chapter 25, you should have been right there. It says, then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation declares the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and I will make it an everlasting desolation. In other words, Saul had a reason, David had a reason for not going into that cave and touching David touching Saul because Saul was his anointed. Do you realize that y'all are cut-ups? But if you know Jesus Christ, you are God's anointed. He's very jealous of his anointed. Okay. So God used Nebuchadnezzar to discipline his people, but then he turned right around and he destroyed Nebuchadnezzar. So here's my first lesson. Because God is in control. Listen to me. There is no such thing as an accident. Because God is in control, there's no such thing as an accident. Because God is sovereign, he either allows it or he causes it. No other, two, no other possibility. And so what you see how quiet it got you know, you can't mean that. I use accident all the time. God is working in your life. The thing is, you don't want him in your life. Especially when you do some of your little stuff, you know. All my casino people, raise your hand. You don't, you don't want God watching you pull the one arm bandit. Come on now, you, come on now. 
I, I'm, I'm in my third observation. It's 14 minutes. Uh, most of the people who read Jeremiah's letter would die before they could be released from captivity. Think about that. He's writing to slaves. He sends this letter, and he's sending it to people who are going to mostly be dead. So how can he be, I know the plans I have for you, plans for you to die? Let's, let's look at 29 verses 5. And don't y'all get quiet on me. <laughs> Listen to what he says. He says, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands but that, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. Okay. Isn't this strange? He's writing to slaves who are probably going to be dead. You remember when God walked all of the people who came out of Egypt? Remember how disobedient they were? And he put them in the wilderness for 40 years. And what happened in the wilderness? Every adult that came out of Egypt died in the wilderness. So God already has this on his record. So he says, y'all not coming out. But God does not abandon us in our mess. Raise your hand if you're messy people. There's a blessing in it for you. You, you, didn't, you didn't raise your hand. I didn't see you. God does not abandon us in our foolishness. God said, what I want you to do is I want you to marry. I want you to have families. I want you to raise children. Because there is going to be a blessing for those who come out, but you have to make them before you can come out. He had a new crew in Deuteronomy. He has a new crew that he's planning for. But all these rebellious people, all of these who wouldn't listen for 23 years, they're going to die. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, that's all right. That's all right. Lesson two. Ten minutes. Lesson two. Because God is in control, he can minister to us in the midst of our brokenness. God does not keep you from the brokenness. Listen to me. Life can beat you up. It can take your breath away. You, it can cause you to look at God funny. That's why you have to know God. You have to know his character. You have to know his power. You have to know who he is. So when you're in the middle of that mess, you can say, I know my redeemer lives. That's what Job said. That's what Job said. I know my redeemer lives and I will see him. 
I sure wish, can I, can I say, I sure wish I had a praying church. <laughs> okay, let's move on. I'm, I'm, I'm nine minutes. Okay. Uh, fourth observation. False prophets sought to deceive God's enslaved people. Let's look at verses 8 through 9. It says, well, thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. You need to understand that everybody who's bringing you a good word or a fresh word, you better check the freshness of that word. Because I, I want you to understand that when the Bible was finished, word was finished. You know, I, I hear some people sometimes talk about, I don't want to offend nobody. Rhema word, you know, it's like I got a fresh word for you. Okay, you have to be careful with that because, because when, you, when you speak prophecy, it's equivalent to scripture. And so if you get a prophetic word, it should be equivalent to Scripture. And you need to know God said it. That's why you can't take my opinion. That's why we're going through all these verses. So you would say, Pastor Smith up there, you know, and he said this and that. No, he didn't. He said, watch who you listen to. See, everybody... You know, it's, they, they come to the hospital, they say, oh, you know, you're going you gonna to get better. You know, everything's going to be fine. You might not get better. And, and if somebody has given you a prophetic word to say that, you say it. But don't speak for God if God ain't told you to talk. The, the Lord told me to tell you. <laughs> Is the Lord's tongue tied? He can't speak to me? I didn't mean, I didn't mean to do this. I really didn't. Let, let, so, so Hananiah was the guy who was doing the talking. I'm going to skip all of the background. Read, read chapter 28. And then skip down to the bottom then of, of, of 28, verse 17. I'm not going to make you read all of that, but it says, Hananiah the prophet died in the same year in the seventh month. This was the guy who was saying he was speaking for God. So sometimes when you say you go, you're speaking for God, okay, God might just smoke you. <laughs> so you need to not be standing too close. Uh, to people who are speaking for God until you vetted them. Okay, I'm running on now. Um, lesson three, because God is in control, there can be serious consequences for falsely claiming to speak for him. Observation number five. I'm almost at the end now. Okay, this is, this is, what, we, this is where we've been going all this time. So everybody breathe. And let's have a little chorus. I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord. Okay, that's good. Okay. Because <laughs> you're going to need to trust in the Lord for this next one, all right? 
Okay, so observation number five. God spoke to the exiles as a group and not as individuals. God spoke to the exiles as a group, not as individuals. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, first of all, the group that he was writing to were going to die before they ever came out. And so there was going to be a new crew who didn't even get the letter. And so he had to be, so, so Pastor, anything else you can tell us? Well, God promised Abraham that if he would go leave his country, leave his family, what would he give him? A land, a seed, and a blessing. That he'd be a blessing to the whole nation. That way it's impossible for all these people to have died in Babylon and God's word still be true. All through the Old Testament, God spoke to the nation and to specific individuals. The, the nation couldn't even approach the mountain where God was. God didn't start dealing with us as individuals till the New Testament. Okay, so let's read this. I'm, I'm, I'm almost finished. I see y'all yawning and carrying on, Pastor. Bring some fire, Pastor. Okay, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, they're not moving for 70 years. I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. God is addressing the nation of Israel. I have claimed this promise for myself countless times. I want this promise. I, I, I don't want God to leave me hanging. It's such a good promise. Yes, God knows the plans. Nobody else knows. Did you know you can't know God's sovereign will until you see it in your rearview mirror? Yes. Nobody knows God's sovereign will ahead of time. How do you know it was God's will? Because it happened. How do I know that I was supposed to marry that woman over there? Because she's sitting over there. <laughs> I couldn't have married anybody else if I had wanted to. But God doesn't care about everything. He doesn't ordain every single thing. Listen to me now. He doesn't care if you buy Kroger eggs or Tom Thumb eggs. He doesn't care if you buy brown or white. But if you're supposed to meet someone at Tom Thumb, then he cares to send you to Tom Thumb and not to Kroger. You know, if your squeeze, your bow, your sweet thing is, is going to be over in Kroger. God sovereignly gave my wife a yearbook with my picture in it. You know the thing, God makes, your, God makes your choices certain. He'll give you free choice, but you can't choose something he doesn't want you to choose. If you're thinking about two minutes. Okay, so let's close. 
So, so I don't want to I don't want to burst your bubble about 29:11 because God doesn't close a door without opening a window. So He says 29:11. That's for the group, but I got something for you. Romans 8 and 28. Y'all need to get on over there now to this one because this is for us. This 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 is for us. He says, and we know. Okay. This, is, this is maybe one of the most misinterpreted, misquoted scriptures. It always starts with, and we know. Okay? So where, where do people usually start? All things work together for the good of those who love God. That's a lie. From the pit of hell, all things don't work together for the good. Sorry. Sorry. And we know that God causes all things to work together to those who are, to love God and who are the called according to... Now, that's heavy duty right there because you got to love God. Yes. Got to check your love uh, barometer. Yes. And you have to be called according to his purpose. What does that mean? That means that you have to know Jesus. Yes. Yes. Hey, Pastor Charlie is going to come and do the invitation, but I, I want to I leave you with this that everybody talk, that's talking about heaven is not going. And just because you are in the church and you know religious stuff, it doesn't mean you are going to heaven. There's only one way in. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. Now, okay, so let's, 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 Let's deal with the parameters here. Okay, the first thing you have to understand is you're not going to hell because of sin. So you get, put that out of your mind. Nobody's going to hell because of sin. Why? Because when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took all sin, past, present, future. He already has taken your trip to Shreveport on the cross next week. No, don't laugh, don't laugh. I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to break this down for you here. So, so that's not the issue. Sin is not the issue. Jesus paid it all. So what's the issue? The issue is rebellion. The issue is rebellion because Jesus died and gave you a path but it's a gift. And if you don't take the gift, it's of no benefit to you. It's like if I had a $5 bill and I said, here, here's a $5 bill. Do you want it? And you say, well, thank you. I, I don't need it. Then that $5 bill didn't help you. So salvation doesn't help you unless you receive it. 
unless you receive it. And, and let, me give you, let me give you an illustration. That clock is off, golly. One, one more illustration, one more illustration. A, a, man, a man who was extremely wealthy, billionaire, and he, he did it collecting art. But he was an amateur painter, and he painted a picture of his son. And it was not a very good picture. You've heard this. It wasn't a very good picture. And then when he died, he said, I want an auction, and I'm going to auction off all of my stuff, and I want it to go at a good price to people. But I want this painting that I did to be auctioned first. And so the crowd was gathered, and the auctioneer said, what am I bid for this? Nobody bid. Nobody wanted it. And then finally, a lady, to try to move the process along, she says, I offer you $50. He said, sold to the lady for $50. And then the auctioneer says, the auction's over. <laughs> he, said, he said, the crowd grew angry. They said, what do you mean? I mean that the man said that whoever would take his son would get everything else. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.